episode 45. Yes, religious sanity. Back with Pastor Andrew. And uh, this time I want to talk about the opinion piece which appeared in New York Times. Oh, uh, Just, I think, this Monday. Uh, uh, written by uh, Annelie Newitz uh, about elites uh, of late Bronze Age. Mm. And uh, right around that time um, this Monday, my cell phone and uh, started to buzz because I have a Google alert on Ugarit, uh, <laughs> which and, doesn't and go off. No, often. no, no, not that often. <laughs> I, I have another uh, Google alert about uh, Rutgers Church, uh-huh. but uh, and that does not go that uh, off that much <laughs> as well. But uh, the, the, this occasionally goes. Uh, there is uh, some kind of a uh, restaurant called. Ugarit great uh, in in England and and they occasionally have some events or something like that uh, uh, and and so on and so forth but uh, here was this article and that pre- predominantly mentions uh, Ugarit and uh, so wait before you even go you, this must have excited you it's the New York Times it's an article it ha- it's about the Ugarit uh, uh, topic you're, you're diving a right started, into this. A friend started to uh, nudge me that there is this uh, article, you know, and what is my reaction to it? And parishioners were writing to me or sending me the links to this uh, article yeah. uh, and, and so on. Uh, they need it because, uh, frankly, I am a New Yorker who does not like New York Times. Mm. Uh, uh, you probably mm-hmm. know it. Uh, you are right now smiling. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm in... A transplant from Europe and uh, over there I, I uh, learned to trust other uh, news resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York Times I, I have a love and hate relationship with and, and this article is exactly it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, it, it shows uh, the failure of editorial uh, approach uh, because wow. this article is and uh, I'll, I'll not uh, take any prisoners here uh it's another disaster wow uh yeah and and sorry that uh, i'll i'll be outspoken but uh they are writing it uh, from um from the perspective of left-leaning person uh but this uh, left ideology is simply uh completely skewing all the the thinking and writing about it and and uh, it also betrays an uh, deep ignorance about uh, ancient near east mm. uh, so uh, the, the the area the like in in the almost first paragraph uh, uh, which immediately kind of triggers person's uh, concern about, you know, what is going to happen in the rest of the article is mm-hmm. uh, more than a thousand years before the Greeks invented democracy and the Romans undermined it with imperialism. Th- that's the direct quotation, okay? Uh, so, uh, come on. This would not be allowed in my high school in Europe. <laughs> As an essay or anything, you know, this is such a simplification and it's, untruth. It's, it's almost like condensing it 
so that like one thing could be an effect of the other when it's totally was separate. Is that, is that... Uh, not only that, but uh, it is a simplification beyond it's it's ideology. It's pure. Mm. Uh, I would say anti-imperialistic, left-oriented ideology. I completely get it. I agree with her. I don't like imperialists yeah. and, and so on. But you cannot simplify or you cannot use history this simplistic way mm. to justify your likes and dislikes. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to be more thorough and more honest. So, for instance, Greeks invented democracy, uh, perhaps. Uh, but uh, then uh, Romans uh, undermine it with imperialism. Sure, uh, but what about uh, Alexander the Great? Did not Alexander the Great, before Romans, you know, uh, undermine uh, that Greek democracy already? Mm. It was not done by the Romans. The Romans, uh, even after Alexander the Great, they still had their own democracy. Mm, mm. And then they deteriorated into an empire, uh, an imperial power uh, of Caesars uh, or of, of emperors uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and so on. So uh, it is such a simplification. You know, where are the, those all the Seleucids and uh, other monarchs uh, of an uh, Hellenistic period, for instance, uh, mm, here. Mm. It's it's uh, simplification which betrays uh, ignorance of history mm. or, or very, very shallow uh, understanding of the history which mm. does not go deep enough uh, to, to... And, and the next sentence is another. Uh, they try to refer to Egyptian uh, context and uh, they speak about carved stone inscriptions of the pharaoh Hatshepsut uh, and uh, Tutmosi III. Why? You know, those are uh, Bronze Age monarchs of Egypt, but uh, if we are talking, say, about uh, Mediterranean basin and uh, talking about uh, Ugarit and uh, international diplomacy, which the rest of the article yeah. is about. Uh, why to mention exactly these uh, Egyptian pharaohs? Uh, and why not to use an example of El Amarna correspondence, mm. uh, which is dealing exactly with that area? Mm. Uh, that'll be a better uh, example of referring uh, Egypt and its connection with uh, the Middle East, mm -hmm. uh, Ugarit and, and uh, Babylon and uh, Palestine. And, and, uh, because in that correspondence, we have uh, letters, uh, diplomatic letters, with all those areas. There are literally uh, letters written in Ugarit. Mm. So if I'm writing about uh, Ugarit within the historical context, then <clears throat> I want to refer, um, I want to refer Egyptian uh, setting, this would be the most natural. Mm -hmm. and, and it's never mentioned here. Then they write about uh, uh, the, the the area, mm -hmm. 
geographic and and uh, they use the current terminology about that uh, writing about Greece, Turkey, Syria, Lebanon and Egypt. Fine, uh, they are translating it into Modern our current terms, names yeah. for 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 that area and are outlining it there. But again, they are writing about uh, Ugarit. And if they are writing about Ugarit, then I think it is a major omission not to mention their, I would say, almost the largest trading partner. And that would be Cyprus. Alasha uh, in their own language. Or Alashia. Uh, one way or the other uh, pronounced. Uh, that was their main trading partner. It was the Bronze Age. Uh, and uh, Cyprus was the main source of uh, copper. So uh, that was a strategic uh, resource mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and a major trading partner and uh, the place of uh, some of the famous battles towards the end of the Bronze Age, uh, which are described in archives uh, and historical records uh, when the Sea People were coming and, uh, you know, going through the Middle East and uh, major battles uh, right before the fall of Ugarit, uh, destruction of Ugarit happened uh, uh, in in Cyprus, uh, on on a sea, and on a land. Mm. So that, that that's another example. There, there are so many examples that uh, they are looking really into things which are uh, like. Yeah, potential, possibly, uh, like describing it, uh, but then not mentioning something which is kind of almost obviously mm -hmm. at the center mm -hmm. and not mentioning it. And uh, so uh, that that's like with that Egypt and omitting completely Ella Marna correspondence or not mentioning it uh, while picking some other uh, um, uh, figures. Mm -hmm. in that, uh, or describing the region and not mentioning the most uh, obvious uh, part of that region, definitely from within the context of, uh, of, of, of this uh, historical field. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah, that, 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 that's the example of that. Uh, and then concentrating on, on ideologically on, uh, uh, on, uh, on aristocracy, you know, and, and uh, constantly linking Mycenae and Ugarit, for instance. That's the other place where it is uh, bizarre. Uh, know that they were not in contact. We know that they were. Uh, there was uh, also a linear script discovered in Ugarit uh, from, uh, from Creed or Mycenae. Uh, uh, there were contacts. That there are records of, of exchange of uh, goods. Mm -hmm. 
but uh, Ugarit was uh, definitely more closely connected with Hittites and with Egyptians and was a player kind of on the borderland between the sphere of influence of Egypt and the Hittite uh, kingdom or empire. Uh, towards the end of its history, Ugarit was in the Hittite uh, camp and was on the Hittite side. Of course, it's northern Syria, so it makes sense that Hittites were uh, landlords for them. Mm. Uh, but uh, Ugarit kings and aristocracy, they were uh, vassals of Hittites. And we know that Hittites uh, played the role in royal politics in Ugarit. There are recorded judgments over the divorce uh, mm. of the king and, and princes, uh, Hittite princes, for instance. Uh, so they were definitely part of the Hittite sphere of influence and uh, Hittites were very closely connected with them. And towards the end, when they are going, starting to be overwhelmed by, uh, by the economic pressures of that time and uh, Sea people are plundering first Cyprus and then coming uh, to the Syrian shores. Uh, it's very likely there there is a correspondence that the royal house uh, of Ugarit actually moved over to an Hittite inland uh, city, Karkemish, or Karkemish. Uh, which was the center, another center of Hittite power in, in inland Syria. That's the context. Uh, they are writing about um, aristocratic families taking over. Yeah. And that part's true? I mean, that, that, that it, whole idea? It, it is, but again, it tells me that there is no thorough understanding of, of the functioning of the society over there. So, for instance, uh, in all... Uh, ancient Near East, uh, there was something I would describe almost like a royal monopoly on economic activity. Royal and temple monopoly. Where royal, in Ugarit for instance, royal house was the, the source of uh, diplomatic power and diplomatic correspondence and uh, also uh, uh, economic activity. And uh, they could delegate, and they often delegated uh, these responsibilities then to uh, powerful houses, who over time, uh, and especially towards the end, took over some of those responsibilities. It is similar to a medieval development in, in Europe where originally the king would have uh, uh, king would uh, be an owner of the kingdom mm -hmm. and would have uh, administrators on different castles and uh, the, the whole court would be moving in between those castles. 
especially before the currency became more widespread in Europe. They'll just have uh, gathered the resources from the local countryside. The royal house would move there, uh, you know, live there for a while until the resources would get depleted and then they'll move to another house. Mm-hmm. Uh, while uh, those individual castles or places were uh, led by... Um, by local administrators, let us call it, or vassals. And those would be, generally with every single new king, they'll be assigned to a a new person. You know, king would bring with uh, him uh, this uh, new setup, who is ruling over which castle, or who is taking care of which castle. Uh, And of course, over time, it became hereditary. Mm-hmm. And that is the beginning of aristocracy. Yeah. No. And uh, in a similar way, I, I think, to some degree, you see the similar process in Ugarit, where originally it is the royal house which is controlling everything, uh, then it is starting to delegate uh, certain responsibilities and, uh, and tasks uh, to different houses, and they uh, slowly take over and exercise more and more independence. Uh, Towards the end, they are really doing most of even diplomatic and sometimes uh, military uh, activity. Uh, uh, So in in Ugarit, we we know about Rashapabu uh, house and Rapa'anu and Yabinu and Urtenu. Those are the, the major houses which, which were involved in, in economic activity and diplomatic activity towards the end of, of the kingdom and uh, even military. Uh, they, they were probably linked uh, by personal unions with the royal family uh, and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so it became more and more difficult also to kind of divorce themselves or mm-hmm. to assert uh, authority because they were all relatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, uh, that's can at least, you know, the way I'm, uh, I, I'm thinking about uh, this. Uh, but Royal House was more complex uh, administration center. It was more layered. So, for instance, King had his own vizier and the vizier had its own court which exercised authority and then uh, queen similarly had her own court uh, administration you know behind the court just understand administration uh, and the source of correspondence for instance that's how we know about it because they were producing letters (laughs) which survived so that was the power structure in Ugarit. So uh, the, first of all, you have the empire. Towards the end of the Ugaritic period, it is uh, Hittite empire. Uh, then you have the royal house in Ugarit, as intricately structured as I describe it. And... Uh, then you have these lower uh, nobility houses, which were ruling, being mandated by the royal house. Mm-hmm. 
and maybe they're more and more asserting their own independence uh, towards the end. But uh, so that that was the situation in Ugarit. Uh, as uh, we also know from the correspondence that uh, what what they were trading with, they were trading with all sorts of things. Uh, the the article is mentioning only that the wealthiest merchants uh, were getting rich and they were uh, bringing jewelry or uh, ostrich. Ostrich eggs or something like that, uh, as as unessential as they were. That's the point, you know, mm -hmm. saying that they were so detached from. That's not the case. We we know that the main bulk of uh, commerce uh, was actually, and at least towards the end of uh, the, this period, was shipping shiploads and shiploads of grain from Egypt up to a Hittite kingdom to themselves but up to Turkey, today's Turkey, uh, to Hittites. We, we think that the reason for that was a substantial drought mm. and famine. And towards the end, there there is even a letter preserved which is mentioning that just one shipload of grain from Egypt is uh, called a matter of life and death. Uh, that 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 gives you that kind of basic understanding. Yeah. So. Uh, it is true that the that, that late bronze uh, society was getting more and more complex uh, with this uh, royal monopoly controlling production and crafts and all of that, which all was to some degree under the supervision of the royal house. Uh, they had a major bureaucracy going on and mostly centralized, only towards the end it started to get uh, somehow decentralized. Uh, that bureaucracy was uh, employing and feeding everyone. Uh, it was almost like a socialist government, you know, mm -hmm. or something like that. And, uh, uh, but under royal tutelage. That bureaucracy sort of worked for them because they were able to uh, survive for a considerable period of time this serious climatic disadvantage which was coming at them. Mm -hmm. Clearly they were able to survive long enough to have to deal with uh, consequences of that drought elsewhere as more or less still structured society. Mm -hmm. The theory is that as this drought was taking hold over that whole region, uh, people simply started to move around. They, they needed to survive. And especially on the outskirts of this area, it means in contemporary Greece, say, you know, and Bulgaria and Albania and, and these areas. From there, from Balkans, came the wave of people displaced. And from the, uh, from the western part of Turkey, from Aegean region, basin, mostly. Those are the, those uh, sea people who came. And uh, 
they got displaced because of this drought. And uh, that society over there was never really strictly organized and uh, they got displaced and, and they started to move. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they started to move around the Mediterranean basin and the process was really uprooting and this uh, destruction and uh, uh, dark age, it is called the, the collapse of, of a civilization. Uh, but... Uh, and that's where this whole idea of this burn, burning down of the, of the mm -hmm. whole city comes into play, I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, Ugarit, for instance, or a Hittite kingdom, uh, or Egyptian uh, empire or kingdom, uh, they all met with this challenge as relatively still functioning societies with functioning bureaucracy and they were able, because of that, to compensate for the, the shortfalls. Mm. They were trading, they were uh, getting that uh, supplies from Egypt where there was a reliable, more or less reliable uh, resource of, of grain uh, simply because of the Nile flooding uh, they were not that deeply impacted by the drought which was further north from them you know in Asia Minor probably and, and Balkans that bureaucracy worked for them they were able to compensate but then came this wave of migrants who, who came from the fringes where they, where they did not have that much of uh, infrastructure and bureaucracy which would help them to deal with it, uh, with the climatic change. And uh, they, they started moving and when there is this kind of movement, there is no stopping it. They, they just came and they, they used a uh, relatively uh, new uh, approach uh, by by simply creating landing next to a city, say, uh, creating camps and then uh, putting a siege on the city and and destroying the city. Yeah. They did this uh, in Cyprus, as I mentioned, I think earlier. Uh, the, you know, first stop for them uh, going against the Ugarit and the Hittite kingdom was uh, that they overwhelmed their Cyprus. They went uh, and took Cyprus or simply destroyed uh, the culture wow. there and then they moved uh, to the to, 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 to Middle East or to Syrian coast and and similarly uh, approached uh, uh, Ugarit you know landed uh, on the shore and then uh, overshore and on boats from the sea they, they simply put a siege on on the on the port and destroyed it uh, while, uh, as I mentioned, most likely royal house relocated uh, inland to Karkemich. You know, there, there, there is some signs that uh, the Hittites are kind of suggesting an, an exile for the mm -hmm. royal house of, uh, from royal house from Ugarit to, to just uh, relocate uh, for time being. But there was no returning back because it was completely destroyed. 
So that was uh, that that was the situation, and here you have uh, why it is an interesting uh, parallel, say for us, and it is important for us to study that. Uh, I remember uh, giving lectures in my pre previous uh, location in Binghamton for an environmental uh, group there, uh, talking about uh, the impact of climatic change. And uh, in this case, it was drought. Uh, and again, it can be drought. Uh, and uh, movement of people, migration of peoples. And uh, how disruptive and, and uprooting it can be and destructive for the civilization, mm -hmm. uh, which, which uh, happened back then and uh, was, was serious. We are dealing with something similar again. This time the movement is more from, say, Iraq, Iran, uh, and uh, it, it, it can be uh, partly cultural, it is partly environmental. I think that the cli climate change is playing a role in uh, most of the migrant movements we see these days, uh, those refugees or migrants uh, across the Mediterranean Sea and, and so on uh, in Syria. Some of that uh, civil strife and war, of course, is politically generated there by dictatorship uh, of uh, Assad's family. Uh, but uh, not only that, that there is an uh, environmental uh, pressure, almost certainly. It's not being spoken too much about, but there is a drought there. And uh, those fringe areas, uh, hardly cultivated, uh, are becoming almost impossible to survive in. Mm. And so that, that might be driving some of that uh, strife there. Uh, and, um, you know, when, when that is happening, there is no stopping of it. You know, you can put how many ship you want to a Mediterranean uh, Sea uh, or uh, on Greek islands. You can create fences, you can create camps for migrants. It, it might not be possible to stop it. Yeah. And, and the story here is of a similar kind. Uh, and it is complex. It, 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 it is political, economic, and uh, environmental, climatic yeah. pressures which are triggering it. And, yeah. and it's, it's, it's moving. And so there are lessons for us to, to learn and to pay attention to. I'm not... That's what, that's what they were trying to say in this article, but it, but it, but you're saying that it was uh, the connections are too simplistic. Yeah, it's it's too simplistic and it's not deep enough, and and it's uh, too much current uh, American left idiom ideology yeah. uh, present there, which uh, which is making it almost. Uh, unbelievable or it's making yeah. it non-genuine or yeah. um, this seems to be a trend in in that that happens today with writers or with with anyone trying to on under under the umbrella of of uh, of a certain ideology even if it's well-meaning even if we mm -hmm. agree mm -hmm. with it even if we want even if it's mm -hmm. progressive on uh, yeah. on the face yeah. of it it's still it's still uh, uh, undermining uh, reality uh, uh, 
an, an argument, undermining the argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, for instance, here concentrating on Mycenae and Ugarit, you know, yes, those were two major telesocratic, it means the sea ruling uh, powers. But they were themselves, or at least Ugarit, was ruled by Hittites mm. from outside. There is not a mention of it in this article. Mm -hmm. There are other aspects of it. They are really harsh with, uh, with those elites uh, in, in Ugarit. Uh, I, I defended their bureaucracy, which fended off uh, that climatic or uh, environmental uh, catastrophe which they were uh, enveloped in. Uh, but uh, there, there are other aspects of it. It was not just fancy jewelry or something like that and, and demonstrative wealth and, and ruling over people. Uh, they, they, uh, Ugaritic people, I mean, uh, and, and their craftsmen, they were really engaged in exchange of technology, metallurgy. Mm. Uh, it, it was a highly sophisticated world. So you had uh, metallurgists, uh, for instance, uh, who were pouring bronze. And uh, they went into specialization. We know that they had special ter terms for those who were uh, pouring just um, bronze as a metal. They had those who were pouring uh, arrowheads hmm. and they had their own guilds. Uh, they had their guilds of craftsmen who were doing uh, jewelry, but they, they had a, they were having, for instance, uh, trade in with glass. This is the beginning of the emergence of glass, the late Bronze Age, and and you can follow the the spread of the technology. Of course, it's not a blown glass that will come much later, but. Uh, and, and yes, it, uh, you, you can call it that, that that's an elite, elite product at that time. But you, we know where it led. It, it was for an elite jewelry and uh, elite uh, special uh, products uh, for royal houses at yeah. this time. Yeah. But eventually it, it enabled us to, to have uh, glass windows. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to have substantial benefits of, of having it uh, f for broad population. So it is not all only those uh, ostrich uh, eggshells I see, yeah. for, for families, uh, for royal family or for aristocracy. Mm -hmm. uh, it, is, it is more uh, complex, metallurgy. Uh, at the end of the Bronze Age, they are already uh, working with uh, iron. So iron is being uh, traded up and down the coast uh, in, in a larger and larger quantities. Uh, it, the, there is another misconception among the, uh, among the people, uh, uh, and that is that iron was so much better metal than bronze, so it took over uh, from the bronze. And that is a misconception. 
at this time and for the foreseeable future, bronze was actually much better metal, even for making weapons, than iron. What brought iron age and iron technology was that a bronze age collapsed, could not sustain that itself for those many different reasons, environmental, uh, maybe bureaucratic, uh, the structuring of the society and, and so on. And in that collapse, they could not sustain the production of bronze, mm. which was rather intricate and difficult because you needed to have uh, tin, you needed to have uh, some perhaps other metals like uh, lead and arsenic, because they were using arsenic to some degree uh, in, in bronzes, uh, and copper, of course. And uh, it, it was very intricate and complex production and sourcing. You, you needed to have an, uh, relatively secure trade routes uh, to get all these metals together so that you can produce uh, the bronzes you desired. And uh, so uh, with the collapse of these trade routes and er everything, they could not continue to produce bronze, even though it was much higher quality metal. Mm -hmm. And they replaced that with much lower quality uh. iron. And the iron is uh, replacing bronze not because it is better at that time, uh. but because it is easier and cheaper to produce. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that, that's that kind of thing which uh, I, I find really perplexing that people think that they were going for a better and higher quality metal. Eventually it would become with the steel and everything, but that's not the time at the beginning. Yeah. You know, at the beginning it is uh, that bronze is much better, hmm. but they could not produce and sustain it. Hmm. And so they went for the... the, the cheaper resource and that is also when when you have those uh, greek myths for instance about those different ages you have the golden age and then you have a bronze age and then you have an iron age you know and all are actually a process of deterioration mm, and see. there was a reason for it yeah Be because definitely bronze at that time was much better Harder metal, for instance, yeah. also heavier, which for weapons can be beneficial, and and so on and so forth. So uh, you, you, you know, it's it's just frustrating yeah. <laughs> to, to to read the article like this. Yeah, we have this urge to simplify um, um, long ago times and and make points about them. And thinking that they weren't as complex mm -hmm. as now, you know, we would never make these kind of simplifications about historical moments in in modern times. We we understand the 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 various levels of complexity around it. Why don't we apply that all the time to ancient history? That they have here in this article, they have an uh, ideological agenda. Yeah, 
and that it's itself a simplification of our current uh, quandary. Yes. I, I think that, yes, there is a discrepancy between uh, rich and poor, definitely in American society and, and globally. But uh, all of that is more complex than just that. Yes. The complexity of our uh, GPS systems. Yeah. <laughs> And an internet and all of that uh, is, is, is marvelous. It integrates us better. It helps us to function more efficiently and everything. But it has its own drawbacks, for instance. And, and those drawbacks are that when you suddenly don't have electricity, or certain aspects of the society stop functioning, or we are all locked in our homes because of the pandemic, or something like that, it, it starts to crumble. Mm -hmm. And it brings these kind of worries about uh, collapse of civilization. And looking at those ancient ones is also can be illustrative and, and helpful. But... Mm -hmm. uh, being aware of what we are doing here, that we are scaring ourselves. You know, this article wants to scare us yeah. uh, into, you know, maybe being more socially aware and being more caring for the poor people. But I think that it can be done a little better way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and with a broader understanding. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this to us. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you.